I've lived a thousand lives. I've piloted a thousand souls. I've killed and fought and died just for another role. This is the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another Hello, and welcome to Season 31, Episode 14 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Nick. And I'm Rose. Yay! On today's episode, Thomas from Denmark brings up GMs fudging their dice rolls. Ooh, this is like an old but like mighty debate. Ken from Canada asks how to tell if a player's reaction is warranted. And Andreas in Sweden replies to our discussion about what makes a traditional game. Ooh, fun. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who's sending in emails. I feel the love. Keep it coming. Never have too much love. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Announcements. Happy Jacks will be back at Strategicon. It's their OrcCon convention, 2023. It's running February 20th, 17th through the 20th at the Hilton LAX in Los Angeles. If you're going to be in the area, stop by. A bunch of us are running games you can sign up for. We're running the show, uh, the podcast live on Saturday night at 7-ish o'clock. And I'm sure it will be fine. It will be fine. And <laughs> so, yeah, come and drink a little bit too much, hang out with us, watch a live recording. FYI, that show is very different from this one. We don't read emails. We talk about games that we've run and played in at the con. And everyone from the con is welcome to come and share their experiences as well. So that is a lot of fun. We always enjoy it. It's also sloppier and louder if memory serves. Yeah, often much of both of those things. But I am endeavoring to remember the ending of this show this time. So it'll be fine. Okay. Since I have to put all the equipment away. Okay. Also, we have a new Indie Designer of the Month because it is February. Yay! So our new Indie Designer of the Month is Jennifer Adcock. She has designed The Price of Coal which is an amazing game, which I kickstarted and is just so cool and beautiful. If you're on the podcast, you should definitely Google this right now. It is one of the most stunning games I've ever seen. It's a card game. It's a card-based game, GM-less game. I, I am fond of RPG card games. I don't know if anybody knew that. And uh, Why is that? Why is that? <laughs> uh, yeah. And this is one that's like very similar. Like It was inspired by a lot of the games that inspired Decima. So the price of coal is no, no. We're pitching gen stuff right now. So you can go to Indie Press Revolution online to get physical copies of the game, the actual decks of tarot size cards. It's not tarot based, but they're tarot size cards because they're just nice. And you can also buy a digital copy on Roll Twenty. So it does not have like a PDF version, but you can get the the digital version on Roll Twenty. So on the digital version on Roll20, it has, it's like imported the deck of cards. Exactly. You can, play it. You can totally play it Online's just cool. like you were at the table, except without like the shuffling being quite as pain in the ass, because I'm terrible at shuffling cards. Um, oh, I love shuffling cards. See? See? Every podcast is made of two people. Two one person people. who hates shuffling cards and the other one who will shuffle Absolutely. those cards. Yeah. One who designed a, t- a card-based game but hates shuffling cards. <laughs> So The Price of Coal is a card-based storytelling game about coal miners and their loved ones in West Virginia in 1921. Evocative prompts guide you through a year of their struggles and triumphs in the community, 
leading up to the Battle of Blair Mountain. Together, you fight for your rights and your union. How will you stand up for each other when the system fails you? And it's for three to five players. It takes about three to four hours normal tabletop RPG like length. And yeah, it's GMless, which is really fun. And it just has like these beautiful cards that are just stunning. Go look at it. It's so pretty. It was one of those things like when you kickstart a game and you're like, oh, okay, this should be good. And oh yeah, okay, the people involved, I, I think it'll be nice. And then it shows up and you're just like, wow, this is really nice. This is I, so I beautiful. definitely am going to ask to take a look at that after the show. Yeah, absolutely. So check it out. And I love that it's based on historical events and uh, labor rights. Right. No, this is a, a really good one. I was reading the big blurb on the on the email page. And yeah. It sounds super interesting. Yes. So basically, it was inspired by a variety of storytelling games, Jen says, including Red Carnations on a Black Grave for the Queen and The Quiet Year. And all pivotal games that I adore as well. So yeah, go check that out. Again, you can get this game on press Revolution for physical copies and Roll20 for the digital version. Jen also has a bunch of really awesome other indie games that we're going to talk about starting next week that are available on Itch. And so we'll talk about them at the time. So for now, if you want her big, actual, physical, have a deck of cards in your game or in your hand game, then go to Indie Press Revolution or Roll20 and look for The Price of Coal. And if it sounds good, pick it up and it'll encourage her to make more of these beautiful games. Yes. I hope that buying it was also implied in the go look it up. I didn't mean to say that you weren't. I oh, was no. just encouraging people like... Do the thing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Jen, for being our Indie Designer of the Month for February. All right. Mailbag one. Read, yeah, you wanted to read the first one you said. I do. Dear Captain Kimmy and the Motley crew of the USS Happy Jack, Arr. when deciding where to boldly go or stay safe at shore, I have learned to trust the crew of your venerable ship in matters of the unknown. Ah, uh, I see what you said. Venerable? That's good. Yeah. One of them was about... <laughs> and then suddenly... <laughs> Suddenly, Angus, the boy genius, came in. (laughs) One of them was about whether or not the game master should, quote, hack the dice, their expression. They meant fudge, fiddle, change, cheat with the game master's own dice rolls. There was a slight generational gulp. I got it at 7-Eleven. There was also a generational gulf opening between us when I tried to make it about known when to hold them, know when to fold them. Anyways, they had some examples that split the room in the great debate we had. Number one, changing the dice rolls in combat. If the combat turned too deadly or too easy for the players to have fun, isn't shared fun the goal, the end goal here? Two, changing rolls on tables, encounters, critical hits, fumbles, etc. Perhaps even rust rolling for show, that's probably just rolling for show, (laughs) because the game master already has decided on a result that sounds more fun to hear, more fun to her. Or to here, I don't know. Yeah. There's enough typos in here that go either way. <laughs> Lastly, and honestly, I'm not sorry. I'm the jerk who's making someone fun of someone whose English isn't their native language. So shame it's on fine. me. Put me in the. In You're jail. not the last or the first person on the Happy Jacks RPG podcast <laughs> to make fun of someone's email. Okay. And we love you, so don't worry. The about podcast, us. yes. The podcast. I'm going to make fun of you. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> Three to save an important NPC that is needed later in the story could also just be a favorite NPC of the Game Masters, but here we found shared ground in saying even Game Masters must be ready to kill their darlings. Many views and arguments were made. I could add that I personally have been all over the spectrum regarding these questions during my 30-plus years of gaming. I've been rolling dice hidden in order to be able to fudge them. 
I've even forgotten rolling dice and simply making calls because why bother? And now I love my random dice and I always roll them in the open for the players to see. One argument really stood out and challenged my own views. We like to say that the game master is doing a great job if she, behind the scenes, makes a bit of changes with the story based on character actions or input from the players. Say, in an investigation adventure makes us sure that the clues can be found in multiple places, or even change the culprit of the story if the players get a better idea what's going on than the game master's own ideas. So why should it be more wrong to change a dice roll than it is to change elements of the story? I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the matter of whether or not the game master should hack the dice or not. Best regards, Spielmeister Thomas from Denmark. All right. So this is a like long and storied argument in the tabletop RPG community, which we have like delved into before previously. So I don't know. Uh, but but right. like a specter, it rises from the grave, from the every, grave. periodically. The horse to, to that cl- we keep kicking never not die. <laughs> to claim your victims. Yes. So Rose, what do you think about this one? I think I have the best answer here, which is also the most non-committal. Oh, good. Which is, it depends. <laughs> it depends on the players at the table. Mm-hmm. It depends on the game that you're playing. Mm-hmm. And it depends on what everyone wants out of this experience. If you're playing with people where, you know, the outcome of the dice has to be the outcome of the dice, and we we want thing, everything to be fair and exactly how it's rolled, and you know what? Sometimes random stuff happens and it sucks. Okay, if everybody agrees to that, that's what you do. But I think it comes down to talk to your players about it. If they are open to like, hey, do you guys want me to roll in front of you or do you want me to roll behind the screen? Like, do you want to know what the dice roll is or do you like that mystery? And I think if they're willing to let you roll behind the screen, I think at that point you can kind of do what you want. If they're willing to trust you, if I think the rolling behind the screen implies a certain amount of trust that sometimes you roll something and you get a nat 20 that you're like, yeah, I don't need that to happen right now. And you just, you bluff and you say they rolled a three and the cleric lives and the game continues. But if your players are like, hey, I want to have a very serious, the dice rolls really matter, no quick saves kind of game experience. That's a totally fine thing to do, but you just got to talk it out with everybody. If there's somebody at the table who's like, if you ever change a die roll on me, I would be extremely offended that you would betray our trust like that or stuff like that. Then, yeah, don't fudge your dice with that group or with that player, but there's no wrong or right answer to that. It's entirely based off of group dynamic and kind of what's important to you as a GM. But yeah, like I said, it's super non-committal, unlike whether or not like Jedi or Sith are dumb, where there is an obvious right answer, and I won't tell you which. Yeah. This is, yeah, do what kind of works for you guys. And if other people like to do it upside down, backwards, and up the stairs, let them do it that way. Yeah, for this, I think it really matters the system. I can see, like, okay, like it has to do with the group, but also, like, some systems are built to be deadly and they should be deadly. And I've gone back and forth in this a long time because I started off and like, okay, like, I don't know that much about gaming. Everybody should roll and the dice should be the thing. And then I was like, narrative games are the best. Fudge all the rules. It'll be amazing. Nobody cares. (laughs) Dice are needed. Character sheets are holding you back. But then like, I've kind of come full circle again, especially running one ring. Like I can see like the roles are really important. And I've had such amazing story moments because of what Dice did, even if it wasn't what I wanted. 
that I feel like, I mean, there are some games where maybe they're meant to be more narrative, but especially in games where there's a big combat focus, I think it's important to at least try the best you can, like once in a while, maybe. But I think for the most part, you should stick to what the die have. I think that there's an important element to following things, at least at first, with fidelity and as far as tabletop role-playing games. I mean, maybe it's just because now I'm a designer on the other side and I'm like, I don't want people fucking with my game. <laughs> I did a good job. Trust me. I wrote these, these rules are here for a for reason. A reason. I thought of other things. Oh, no, I didn't think of that. But but I feel like, and especially if the game... I'm more of a rules originalist. Uh, uh, actually. <laughs> but, I'm actually a... Uh, what would the rules uh, version of a Lutheran be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. But especially for games that are well-balanced. Like, if you run into a game that hasn't been play-tested well and it's sort of a hot mess, like, I can see messing with it. But if you have a game that's designed well, even if it's not necessarily, like, everyone's cup of tea, that's, like, the combats are really important, like, you should try and stick with it. Like, you should do your best to play with fidelity. Obviously, like, Rose, you were saying, like, the players, like, by playing that system, you should have talked about it and kind of bought in on, like, hey, we're playing the system. Combat's a big part of it. It's a little crunchy or whatever it is. Hopefully by you know consenting to play that system and knowing what that system is about through character creation and stuff, they also consented to what was included in that system, which might be like pretty deadly combat. I think like especially games like GURPS, you know, GURPS is, you know, really deadly in a lot of ways. There are moments in Traveler that are really deadly and sometimes that can lead you into really amazing places. And I think there is an element that can be lost when you pick those systems and then kind of round off the corners. I have one thought here. So I kind of have thought back to the times that I've chosen to fudge dice or wished I had or or have thought about fudging dice in a specific situation. And I think for me, the times where I was like, yeah, I'm going to ignore that die roll really came down to how much is this going to kill the momentum of the game? I have run a lot of D&D one-shots, and I think D&D is specifically a good thing to talk about because that is such a ubiquitous system that I think when a lot of people think about fudging dice rules, they specifically think about D&D. It's, in my opinion, fudging dice rules in a a PBTA game seems a little bit sillier, but if you're thinking about D&D, the times I've fudged things were specifically if I had new players, and specifically if it was going to result in character death. And that is because if that character dies, that is going to completely derail the entire game we're playing. It's going to take that person out of the game, and it's in the end going to make for an unfun evening. And I think that's where the question of, okay, should I ignore those dice rolls, is will this drastically impact the amount of fun people are going to have in the game? Mm I think that what you're saying, especially on a a one shot, that's important. And that's Mm -hmm. a little bit different, too, because like you don't have like if a character dies in a one shot, like, oh, that sucks. Okay, maybe you can go get us a beer. Like, thanks for that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm I'm taking notes for my uh, first con one shot. (laughs) The automatic blackleaf rules in one shots are a little bit rough. But the other times I've also done things that are a little bit not about ignoring dice rolls, but about ignoring mechanics. When I ran masks for Adam and Joey and Jason and a couple of our friends, I sat down and I had a discussion with Adam about whether we were going to play the Doom track for his character as 
were we going to play it straight or were we going to decide together what we wanted that outcome to be? Because yeah, the game does have this mechanic for the direction that character's story can go in. But we were sitting in the middle of a pandemic and we said, hey, how is this going to affect the fun we have with this game? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good discussion to have. If the fun for your group is watching the die roll happen no matter what, if that's kind of what everybody decides on, that, yeah, we want to see it, even if it means I spend the entire night rolling ones and then my character dies slipping on a banana peel, have that discussion and and know going into it rather than just like, I would almost say make that a part of session zeros. Like, how do you feel about that? Do you want roles in the open? Do you want roles behind the screen? Do you want me to keep an eye out for you as the player and mm-hmm. your enjoyment? Or is it more enjoyable for you if I let things fall where they lie? Yeah. I was going to say, first of all, I agree with the, it depends on the time and the place and the group and the situation that sometimes I think it's an acceptable tool. Sometimes it's not. And partly I think that has to do, like has come up several times from Rose, is that the tone of the game is what's really important. So in a more comedic or fun or hijinks sort of oriented game, one of the things that is super funny is in the big epic moment where the hero has the showdown and then they fall down and die or are just completely incompetent in the moment because it subverts all the tropes that we have of the hero going to go in and, and win. On the other side of that, if you're playing a very serious campaign, there's nothing worse than being, you're the hero, you're going to take the big shot at the bad guy, you've fought all the way up the 107 stairs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, only to have that bad die roll sit down and defeat you. Mm -hmm. Now, all that being said, I have never fudged a die roll against a player. I've only fudged die rolls in the favor of players. And that's when it comes up with the shit, I just rolled a crit on this level one wizard. Um, no, I Not didn't. even a crit, you rolled a hit Bro, yeah. <laughs> on a level one, level one wizard. But what were you doing rolling attacks against a level one wizard? Right. Well, you know, I was foolish for a moment. and But but I mean, all, all of that combines the kind of story that you want. In cast-offs, where Pooja's character died, mm-hmm. that became an enormous Spoiler. leap forward to the rest of the storytelling for us. And yeah, her character did come back, like he did survive eventually, but that as a narrative was fantastic. It did a lot of really cool things. And I think that if you always fudge your die rolls and you don't let your players die, you're holding yourself back from some of those great memorable experiences. I have a character who I think of fondly who one of the things he did on a horrible die roll was skewer a friend of his who was falling into a pit that he was trying to mm-hmm. throw a javelin to so he could grab onto it. And then I kept rolling awful, awful rolls, and I got eaten by a land shark. And I still think of that character 30 years later yeah. because it was just, it's amazing and funny. And was it a little upsetting at the moment? Yeah, but I wouldn't have that great memory of John Baldfoot, human ranger raised by halflings, <laughs> if it wasn't for the foibles that happened to, to said ranger. It sounds yeah. like a character was already amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Nick Moon. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly clue in. Like, there's this amazing randomness. And actually, uh, Hexbreakers, a game we had very recently, like, really clued me in on this. We had one episode where Emily, our GM, like, we had a couple people who were out, and it was just Riley and me playing. And we just rolled, like, garbage. Like, absolute... The hand grenade. Gar- yeah, like, the worst I've ever rolled, I think, in any game ever. 
And it just took us down this amazing story that, like— Did someone say, may the stork be with you? Yeah, basically. I don't know. Like, maybe he snuck into the studio and, like, licked my die. I don't know what happens. (laughs) But, like, it just took us down this amazing, like, path that we—if we'd rolled well, it would have been a—fine. It would have been a really, like, fine. It would have been a fine episode. I'm sure we would have had good role-playing and stuff like that. But it ended up being, like, this journey where our two characters, like— kept failing together and it like blossomed into like a romance that like we kind of maybe thought might happen like later down the line but like forced it to happen and we had to do all these things because like what we planned like just kept going to shit like it just was so bad so it really kind of opened my eyes and Riley and Emily and I had this great discussion like after about how the story would have been much less interesting if we'd rolled well and I feel the same way like Last week on, not last week, week before last on One Ring, like I was GMing that. Uh, it was a big combat. I'm not going to go too into detail because I don't want to like spoil other things, but it was close. Like I was sweating at the end of that combat. Like, wow. I was like, okay, cool. Well, the system is made so characters to die and be replaced. Okay, it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And it just made it so much more powerful. And that's a very roleplay heavy campaign. It's a very like just sitting and like steeping ourselves in the lore of Middle Earth. Like it's like we just bathe in it and just talk about the stars for hours. Like it's not a, a combat heavy campaign at all. But the fact that that combat was so close and was like a, such a challenge has like really made some impactful character moments and completely change the perspective and outlook at some of the characters. And I think it's going to send us in a very different direction than if I had pulled my punches with like mix it and like not used the dice to my, the roles I'd actually gotten. So I don't know. So it's just something that as a GM, I'm developing and kind of growing a, a greater appreciation for the true randomness of the die, which is a big point of us using them in games. Right. I was actually going to address that with the why should it be more wrong to change a die roll than it is to change elements of the story. Oops. I jumped oh, no, that. no, that, that's okay. <laughs> we're, still, we're still on topic. Yes, sir. To me, actually, it is a big deal. The reason why I think it's worse to fudge a die roll than it is to, say, double the hit points of your, B, of your big bad guy when everybody is just beating the crap out of him in that fight that you thought was actually going to be challenging is because the dice are a neutral arbiter that we've all agreed on to listen to and to use to judge and adjudicate our combats. And while I am not guilty of fudging dice rolls myself, I think that they do have to be carefully monitored so you don't betray that trust. Mm -hmm. The other reason being you never want, nothing is worse, worse than dying as a big hero is feeling like the combat was given to you at the end. Like you really struggled super hard, super hard, super hard. And then feeling like the game master fudged things in your favor and let you succeed anyway. To me, that is the worst of those feelings. And so I think that there is a certain amount of you got to let the die roll and that's how it is. And maybe protect them in more vulnerable moments. But in those epic big fights, let them do what they're going to do. Because otherwise, and I'm not disparaging role play heavy or storytelling games because I love them as well. But if you're just going to fudge the dice, then just say what happens anyway. And then we can just sit down and tell a shared story. It doesn't, there's no redo to introduce that randomness if, if you're just going to ignore that all the time. 
Nick is a liar. We hate narrative games here on this podcast. Yeah. I'm sure it's a long no, standing. I am I am a hundred like GURPS, give me some crunchy ass GURP. <laughs> that is my fucking jam. I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh sorry, that was my like angry stew, and I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can't. But oh gosh, I was gonna make a point. Do you need to do you need to stretch? Yes, it's fine. We'll, we'll figure it no, out. Rose and I will vamp. Yeah, it'll be fine. So, Nick, tell me what the Constitution means to you. <laughs> As part of NPR's celebration of American democracy, we're reading every oh. article of the Constitution. So this is a very teacher tip. Sorry. No matter what you choose to do, I think it's also really important that you do it fairly. This is one of the things that makes me a little nervous because it can be... It's hard, like, as a GM, you have favorites at the table. You have favorite characters. You have your best friends sitting there. And then your other friends are there, but they're, like, your very best friend or whatever it is. Or your romantic partner's with you or whatever we've, it is. We've all heard the horror stories of the romantic partner who can yeah, never seem to die and gets all the magic items die. and always gets the killing blow. Yeah. Been there. Very frustrating. Very upsetting. So I think as a GM, you have to really—if you're going to fudge rolls— like this, that is your prerogative. You make sure you've discussed it so nobody feels cheated. But you need to be make absolutely sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing it fairly for everyone at the table. If you're going to fudge rules for one person, you better do it for everybody. And yeah, it cannot just be the one special person who maybe has a ring on their finger or maybe doesn't or bought you the best Christmas present or brought you like, a yeah. long sub that day. Yeah. Your baby's God kid, godparent, like whatever it is. Like, Although honestly, I will in fact sell my dice fudging. If you want to bring me special <laughs> treats every time I GM, then yeah, I think maybe things can go in your favor. Is that fudging dice or fudge? Ooh, <laughs> I, would yes. I would do that. The best yeah, way to fudge uh, dice. See, that's yeah. a fair system. If you are open about like being able to be bribed and it's I, up to I them. I am an honest game master. <laughs> I stay bought once I'm bribed. <laughs> no, no. For me, it's per session. You have to bring me gifts per session to have me fudge dice in your favor. Oh, sure. I'm saying per session. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you said once for the campaign. I'm like, no, oh, no, Nick, no, no, that no. is too cheap. Go, no, no, no. Your... no. Please. You I, know, I know what I have here. <laughs> yeah, you deserve fudge much more often than that, my friend. Now I really no, want fudge. I've had way too much fudge in my life. <laughs> There's no fudge is amazing. Oh, my God. I'll back up the, <laughs> the being equally fudging dice, but I would also just say uh, fudging dice should be the nuclear option. Like, it should be literally the only place I would fudge dice is if it's going to, like, basically take a player away from the table for the rest of the night. Is the really the only time I would justify it. Otherwise, yeah, you do turn it into just sitting at the table and playing make-believe together, which is a perfectly good time. But if the players were under the impression that this was a game and not group make-believe, that is not being honest with them. Right. Crazy Goatman 22 in the chat uh, <laughs> brought up uh, Shadowrun, at least in third edition, did this really well. You can generally save yourself no matter how bad things went by burning karma, a karma pool once you have exhausted it, but it does not refresh, refresh so it's hero, hero, horrifically painful to do. I do think that that's actually a great thing if you want to have like maybe fudging at the table, maybe have that like build in or steal that mechanic and then put it into whatever system you're running. Like if it's you're running D&D, like give them a certain number of rewinds or something like this is what I rolled narratively as part of our story. Do you want your party member to die in this moment as they face the big bad? And then if they're like, yeah, that's an awesome story thing or they could whatever 
currency you make up for the game, be like, no, 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 we want to rewind that and like have it go a different way. Well, a lot of games have that built in. Yes. Savage Worlds has bennies. Absolutely. Pathfinder 2 has hero points. 40 Dungeons and Dragons had hero had, uh, they called them something else. But Yeah, I remember that. That's one of the things I like. Well, so there's, so specifically like Monster Boogie has luck and Vampire the Masquerade had willpower. Mm -hmm. Willpower was proactive. Luck, I think, I remember that now. Also proactive, but but basically you could do some things to hedge so it wasn't horrible for you. Luck was like an automatic success. And mm-hmm. yeah, I do. But like when luck ran out, that was such an awesome thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but see, I, I think that takes it out of the realm of fudging the dice because yeah. that's still mm-hmm. a mechanic that's, that's inside the game that everyone has access to the same way that you all have access to bribing me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think that's the benefit of it. It's like instead of the GM making that choice for everyone and being like, hey, I think this will be the better story and not being open about it. I think having the same payoff as fudging the dice, but having it be a collaborative choice is taking it out of the realm of fudging, like you said, in a way. I don't know. To me, it's more of an evening of the playing field. It Mm -hmm. gives the characters some narrative control that they can insert into the world Mm -hmm. the way that the game master does. Yeah. For instance, I'll let people trade in bennies or whatever that currency is to say, add an item to the scene that I hadn't previously thought would be there mm-hmm. to let them do that. And it gives them a little bit of buy-in on the story. Fudging is still always on the option for me if I'm rolling behind a screen. Even if I have some of those special abilities like Savage Worlds, the Game Master gets some bennies mm-hmm. that they can use for their big bads. So it's still it's still a GM-only option because if we catch someone playing, fudging their dice or lying about what they get, we have almost universal disdain for that person on there. It's sort of like mechanics aren't going to handle this. This is honestly, it's, I would say even it's kind of a character test of the game master is how much are they going to change the story to be what they want? Mm -hmm. Or if they're just step in occasionally to help keep things, you know, in a place like Rose said that everyone gets to stay at the table tonight or Mm -hmm. the first time player doesn't get completely trashed because they don't understand how the world works and they get themselves squished and you want them to come back and play some more. Like, there are reasons why to fudge die rolls, but I think that's totally different conversation from the idea of mechanics that let the players do that. Okay. I sort of like the idea of having, I mean, like separate from Benny's, but like a specific thing, not just like Benny's or things that are already written into the system, but something that's like external that you've added. Like, this is like, a redo. Okay, like, so it, what if, like, would this work for you? I'm the game master, and I have a little a countdown or a number of boxes that are displayed on my screen, and those are what I'm allowed to use to fudge things, whether I fudge them good or bad. Let's say I have four per game mm-hmm. that I can go, I don't like that die roll, and cross it off, and that way they know how much I'm fudging things or not fudging things. I mean, it's that, playing a divinity wizard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for that. I think some groups would like that. Like, so that just so they're aware of it. I think, again, like stealing Rose's thing from the beginning, it depends. But I think having it be like known or in the open, I guess, I mean, there is a safety tool that kind of does this already where you can like fast forward, pause or rewind, but it's used for like safety, like the content of scenes, not for die rolls. But I think having like a redo mechanic or something would be interesting. And like, because then the players get the choice of it. And I, I don't know, I am all in favor of empowering players. So I think like for some systems, it may not be necessary, 
But if there, I think it wouldn't be necessary all the time either. But like in that example you gave of the big bad, you've been fighting up the thousand foot stairs, whatever it is, like in that moment, like, boom, this is what I rolled. Do you want to do a redo on this? And like, then have it be a collaborative discussion with everyone there. Like, no, we really love it. And, or have the player be like, no, I, I love it. I love that I died in this moment after this great epic thing. And now like my soul can go to Valhalla or whatever it is. I think that's an important thing because I think it's important not always to steal that. Now in your example about like accidentally rolling a crit on a level one wizard, that's probably not as necessary there. But I think that a player should have that agency to to make that decision in that incredible peak moment of a storyline. I think that that comes back to talking about it in your session zero or even the day before you're going to have this big epic combat come Mm -hmm. to some rules about what's going to happen. Because I honestly, I think a rewind is for that is kind of cheap. Like I play TTRPGs Mm -hmm. and not online RPGs Mm -hmm. because I don't want to have a a save mechanism. I don't want to have the quick save before I go fight the boss. (laughs) It should be I'm going to go fight the boss and that's how it lies. And I won't lie and say I don't do that in video games. Hell yeah, I do it in video games because I right. don't want it to be frustrated. Everybody at the game. does that. But it's totally a different experience, in yeah. my opinion, when you're playing with people and you're doing that. So that conversation about, hey, are we just going to not fudge any dice? Mm-hmm. Or how do you feel about me bumping things? But honestly, even bringing that up as a player, I would be like, so wait, you have the option of not, yeah. of like making it easy for us? I would feel cheated regardless of whether they had budged at that point or not, because I would never know. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. I think it comes down to a two-part of you have the session zero conversation, but I actually thought back to the situation where I had that new player whose character, like I rolled something and I was like, oh, that character is super dead. (laughs) What I could have done differently is one, we have those conversations in the session zero and two, check in, like Mm -hmm. you'd be like, okay, let's take a second. The dice just said that character is going to die. Now, because we only have this much time in our day and making a new character is probably not going to fit in that day, do you want to have the character die and that be end for them? Or here, take this other pre-generated character, we'll fit you in when we can. Or do you want to have some other consequence that isn't death? Like a horrible scar, or not only are you downed, but you lose like the most important item your character has like mm-hmm. oh that heirloom mythical sword that was going to restore your family's honor tumbles into the Balrog pit yeah like i think one having that session zero so you know what people's preferences are and to checking in with them in the moment because i might have said oh yeah hit me with pure dice rolls what happens happens but when we've been fighting this boss for three hours or when I know that like, oh, I'm not going to have time to really like get back into the game if my character dies here Mm -hmm. and the rest of the session is just going to I'm not going to be a part of the game anymore. Yeah. Like I might feel differently. And so the I think that the check in is an important thing to do and just Mm -hmm. be like, hey, this is what I rolled. How do you feel about that? If if we're feeling like that's going to make for a really bad night, let me think of some other consequence that would work for you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily need to be a binary. Either I fudge the dice or I don't fudge the dice or or the players know or the players don't know. Like you can still communicate even in that moment. Yeah. Actually, I really like that. Yeah, I, I really like that because thinking on it, I had a D&D character who I took from first level to 12th level. We're fighting Asterak at the end of Tomb of Annihilation. And I just had 
three shitty dice rolls in a row and I fell into a pit of lava. And it just felt like the worst way to lose that character. <laughs> in that the fight wasn't over. I didn't contribute meaningfully to what was happening after those rolls oh. or even... The roles themselves didn't affect the combat. I didn't feel like I died well, as some people in the in the chat were talking about. It was neither funny nor tragic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was just like, oh, cool. Awful. That's a year and a half of my life that just fell into a pit of lava because I rolled like shit. That's awful. That's yeah. awful. Okay. And, and to be the honest, I would have liked something like, oh, no, you fall on this jutting spire of rock and not into the lava. And at least, like, I would have felt it was a little cheesy, but I also would have been very grateful <laughs> very grateful to yeah. not be, like, cool. Have fun. Hey, Nick, go get a beer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. It's going to be our new, like, code for yeah. your character's dead. Your character died. Go yeah. get a beer. Go get a beer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, okay, that's a really good example. Like, that, that's shitty, and I would want a fudge dice roll as a GM on that. A hundred percent. Well, it wasn't his roles. It was my roles. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I was trying to do something cool, and the only way that I could affect this this lich, mm -hmm. and I just rolled really poorly to do it. Like, yeah. something that my character was supposed to be very good at. Yeah, that uh, happens. He, I hate that. Uh, you know, I jumped to try and get on his back and stab him with my magic spear, and I just couldn't land it. And that was, like, spending my inspiration, and, you know, like I said, it was just three dice rolls that were like, nope. I guess your agility fighter is not going to win the day today. Oh, see, I would have like, that's also a moment where like, well, I mean, as a GM, you're not fudging your roles because it's your role. But like, you know, you make it fail in like a way that doesn't have you like fall into lava piteously. Or, or if he'd given me like one more chance, like, oh, you might be able to grab the edge of the yeah. cliff as you're falling. Or like. Roll the, another die. Yeah. The bad guy like swoops as you like head for, you know, trying to. I'm on. not done with yeah, you yet. And slams you into the wall behind, <laughs> you know, something like you failed because this or, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's easy to like Sunday armchair, what do they call it? Or backseat GM, I guess, for a game that's yeah. long, Monday morning long over. Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. The sports ball Monday morning thingy. Yes. Big yeah. jock, if you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did swimming. It's very different. Um, Same. <laughs> I actively fled being recruited in the <laughs> tennis team at my school. I didn't want to become a jock. I literally <laughs> made that choice. Good on you. Yeah. All right. Did we answer the questions? Oh, yeah. And like the whole like fudging roles to save your NPC is bullshit. Don't ever fucking do that. Ever. That's shitty. Really? But I mean, yeah. like if it's someone who needs to be if so, if someone in act one dies who is needed in act three, just scramble and figure something out. Yep. Don't go like, oh, nope, he didn't die. Yep. It is not a play. Like, no one has to, like, learn someone else's lines if someone, like, passes out or dies. Like, make it work. Because it's like... Use understudies and let them be pursued by bear. Yeah, exactly. It's I, I'm going to, like... That's a hill I'm willing to, like, die on. Like, if you're running an adventure path and you don't want someone to die, don't put them in front of the party. And I'm going to get, like, shit. But, like, Prancing Pony is very, like... I know they can rebuild it, but this is my example from all these games. I'm like, not putting anybody... Goat pet. Yeah. <laughs> Goat pet. Yeah, exactly. But, like, bubble wrapping, like, any important characters from Lord of the Rings, which I know it's not canon, but anyway, keep yelling at me in the Discord. It'll be fine. But, yeah, like, you... This is not a book. Like, the players' actions... Like, I can see budging roles to help the players or to help the players have a better story experience. Fudging dice rolls so that your character is there to do what you plan for him to do down the road is writing a novel. Like, you put them in front of the players, 
and the players can't protect them or whatever, like that's the thing that you have now has to have to live with. And you've got a while. If it's there in th- act three and you're in act one, you've got a while to make it up. So I don't know. That's my thought. So don't use Chekhov's NPC. Yeah, no. If you're going to fudge rolls, make it to like improve the story and the player experience, not to save yourself writing work later. And especially if you're doing a GMPC, oh. as I generally frown on it in the first place, but sometimes it might be necessary, don't spend any good things for that character. Yeah. Yeah, that's super annoying. Yeah. Okay. I think that's everything. Do you want me to read the next one? The yes. possibly shortest email of all time? <laughs> yes. I will write, write in to write a shorter to, one. Yeah. Just to take the title. Yeah. <laughs> Great minds. Great minds. Eventually, we're going to have to write in emails that are pictures, which are technically no words. Okay, so maybe the shortest letter ever. How can a GM tell if the guy across the table throwing a tantrum is being treated unfairly or just being a little bitch? Obviously, there are limitless things happening uh, that I can't tell you all about, but are there some general guidelines? Thanks, Ken from Canada. General guidelines... If someone's throwing a tantrum at the table, that is a good time to step away from the table. Yeah. I'm actually going to pause you for a second because specifically, like it was called out guys. So Rose and I, I feel like we should let Nick answer specifically (laughs) first. So Nick, what do you do when a guy... How did I get on this spot? Where did this come from? (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm across from the table... If I'm game mastering, someone is throwing a tantrum. Honestly, it's going to depend on what I've seen so far that's happening like that. If Is everybody picking on this person? Are they telling them how to play? Are they negating their character choices and just otherwise making an unpleasant experience? Then they're justified in... in I don't know about a tantrum. I don't want to have anyone at my table just break down and throwing and crying and stuff. But if like you make an, an issue about it, then... That's absolutely an issue. If, on the other hand, it's you're having a really shitty night and you've rolled a bunch of ones and you've just failed or you think that you should have gotten the magic sword and someone else got the magic sword, then you're just being a little bitch and you just need to suck it up and and play the game. There's, To me, it's all about context. Like Someone can absolutely be melting down and have reason to be melting down. Other times, people might be melting down for something that they shouldn't be. Now, that being said, everyone has different levels of tolerance mm. and what they can take. And you don't know what's going on in that person's home life. And, you know, if this is the only three hours they get to feel good about themselves because their life is that shitty and I have absolutely been there, then maybe I have a little bit more sympathy. But if I don't know that going in and not that everyone has to disclose their welcome to my table, disclose all your darkest fears mm-hmm. <laughs> to me. Yeah. But to me, there's some extenuating circumstances, but it really depends on what's happening in the game because that's the only part that I'm aware of and have any control of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the history part is really important. What do you think, Rose? So this is going to be Happy Jack's Confessions. I have been the person at the table who has thrown a tantrum before. I'm not super proud of it. It is what led to me leaving a group I was in at one point. And I can explain like a couple of things, but really. They're excuses. They're not explanations, really. But like, I injured my back at one point. Mm-hmm. So sitting for long extended periods of D&D game ended up being physically painful for me. And so yeah. it was hard for me to stay invested for like four or five hour games. They were very, very long sessions. Also difficult because of my ADHD. But there was another time where 
there was a session that it was focusing on another player and like their plot stuff, but it was a very long session. And it felt like the rest of the people at the table really had nothing to do. Now, those are all excuses because the end thing was me being really shitty and throwing a tantrum and leaving the table. And the end answer is I was not justified in throwing a tantrum. I may have had legitimate problems with what was going on, but how I handled it was not okay. So if the person is throwing a tantrum at the table, the problem there is the behavior and you can try and address the things that are causing them to feel that way and have that emotional response. But when you're hanging out with your friends, if someone's throwing a tantrum, something has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. That is not really an acceptable thing to do. That's not really cool. So I think if the game is happening and someone throws a tantrum, take a break, step away from the table, be like, hey, do you want to talk about this right now? If the answer is no, let's everybody step away from the table. We'll come back to this later. Yeah, Because if someone's really upset, that's not a good time to keep playing your game. No. And it's also not always a great time to engage. Like, I've Mm -hmm. had a lot of experience with this lately. And, like, people (laughs) throwing attention and I usually be like, use your words, not your hands. Mm -hmm. Words, not hands. Sorry, that's it. People know I have a two-year-old, which, surprisingly, fairly similar. But, yeah, like, the problem is, is in that moment, like... She would never throw a tantrum. You are (laughs) so wrong. Oh, my God, Uncle Nick. Like... Oh, like she's I, a perfect angel and has never done anything wrong ever. Okay, I have never believed in like zodiac signs, but then I had my daughter and she's a Taurus, I guess. Like I didn't think people could be more stubborn than me. And then I have a child who is I like she just grabs something and will not let go and just like mentally. Right. I I two-year-olds zoo? should not have now zoo. We're going to the zoo? Well, no, just like, like, wow, just like, a lot. anyway, that's a whole other thing, okay. off topic, but also <laughs> with tantrums, also applicable, like, if I try and engage with her in this moment, and this works with adults too, it won't work, no matter how calmly I try and like, all right, how are you feeling? Like, because, you know, we do the, I'm a millennial parent, so we do a lot of feelings and stuff, but you really like have to to give them space for a few minutes. It works so much better if I just like give her space and let her calm down and then let her be in a place where she's open to it. And it's the same if you do, like I've done a lot of conflict resolution stuff. Like I'm trained in social emotional, like work with with teens and young kids. And it's the same thing. Like in that moment when their emotions are high, like we are trained as, well not trained, but we are programmed as humans through our very like biology to not be receptive to logical conversation in those moments, especially because by the time that someone's actually throwing their full-on tantrum at the table, they are stressed, they are angry, they are probably starting to become embarrassed, they're feeling ganged up on, they're not in a place where they're actually going to be able to reflect on their behavior and articulate what got them to that point. And so it's like Rose was saying, like break from the table for everybody, might even be like a, hey, let's end for today. You know, I don't want us to go away. Like, you know, we're going to handle this, but I want to, you know, I think everyone needs a a little bit of a break. Like, make sure you say that before you leave. Like, don't be like, all right, fine, everybody go home. And then like, yeah, that's bad. That's not a calm break. Then you're throwing a tantrum. Yeah, then you're throwing a tantrum back, which is also just the, I've also done that with my two-year-old, but whatever. 
We forgive you. Thanks. I hope you- you're the parent of a two-year-old. I think you're you deserve at least one. Yes. At least. At least. I think anyone who has had Get small children or yeah. lived with small children yeah. understands. Well, and just people in general. Like toddlers are the most like primal example because they haven't had all the years of conditioning of learning other ways. But it's still we all have that toddler inside us still. And when we're put under enough stress or emotional like weight, that comes back out because that's who humans are underneath it all are these very emotional bundles of a lot of complex feelings and primal urges and things like that. So giving time for that in a way that is not judgmental. Like if they're being a total dick, still try to like not engage with that. So, cause you probably need some time to reflect as well. Cause like there've been so, times- so Fred's throwing a tantrum, so we're all gonna stop for the night. Isn't the way I want to address that? No, no, maybe not. <laughs> But Fred's a dick. You're right. We'd like to apologize to anybody named Fred who's listening to the podcast. But yeah, because you might not be seeing it. And it's important for you as the GM or whoever's hosting the game or whatever your role is at the table. As a player, you have the right to do that, too. Like, if it's, like, getting to the point where it's not fun and, like, the GM's not doing anything, be like, hey, this is feeling really off tonight. I think it's good if we all head out and maybe we can address this next time at the beginning of the session or maybe we can meet up for beers later, you know, in the week and talk about this away from the gaming table or whatever it is. Now, if the person like they may react badly in that moment, too, because they are really embarrassed by that point, too. They're angry and they're embarrassed now. And then they've been put on the spot. They're feeling attacked. Even if you try to be nice. Steve, I'm, sure I'm yeah. just laughing because it was Steve, <laughs> Steve before. Oh, and try and do that. Try and put yourself in like the Zen place of like whatever adults you had in your life who was like a you know calm presence for you as you grew up. If you didn't, it, a lot of us didn't have any, but like at some point, hopefully you had a teacher or somebody you could kind of like picture that. Or if even not, if it's fictional, even yeah. if it's Uncle Iroh. Mary Poppins, I, Uncle Iroh, like, like put yourself in that vibe and like go to that place and like step back and give everybody time because you might think about it and realize, oh shit, I have been fudging my die rolls for my romantic partner and not for anybody else at the table. And they have a reason to be pissed. Or maybe that they, oh, you know what? They've been saying all along, they kept Xing that. And then we kept kind of coming back to mm. it. And like, so you might actually realize that they had a reason for being that upset. And maybe that they had been trying to communicate and it just hadn't been going through. You may reflect and be like, nope, they're just being a dick. <laughs> and I, I would reach out first and be like, hey, like if it's, a, if it, it's the first time it's happened, like, assume the best in people. Try and assume the best in people. I don't always succeed, even though I say it. Well, like you're Nick human, saying, like we all are. Yeah, I'm, I am human. But like Nick was saying, like, you never know. Like, there's so much shit in the world, and who knows what their life was that day. So, like, give them the benefit of the doubt. If it becomes a pattern where it's happening a lot, or it's happening for petty reasons, like the... I, um, my characters get da, 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 whatever it is then it's like okay that becomes a pattern and then you're like no done with that <laughs> and then just i would personally just boot them from your table if you can right yeah sorry i talked a lot about that a lot <laughs> so good that's a lot of really good input i would also just make one small note don't call people a little bitch it's just even if someone's being an asshole call them an asshole yeah yeah, yeah that's it's not great what? It's like, oh, you are being a small female person who is obviously a problem. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel great. <laughs> yeah. It, calling people like feminine as an insult. That's not a good idea, Rose. 
I, like, you know, people tried it for a really long time. And for some reason, I still ended up like this. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. uh, Ken, like I did think about that when we, I picked this email and I'm glad you brought it up because I was also going to like, P.S. to you, Ken. <laughs> we love you. We love your emails that you send in. But yeah, using using something to like call someone feminine in any way, even if like I know bitch is like a female dog, but like. Calling oh, someone I, a son you're, of a bitch you're is, being a pansy. is one thing. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's. And it doesn't feel great. No, like, uh, and I think if it's part of your regular vocabulary, I think other women in your life might also notice that and go, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel so good. Yeah. Jerk, asshole. There's lots of good ones that aren't misogynistic. Yeah. Today at work, I was frustrated with a customer who couldn't hear me, but mm-hmm. my mind first went, that fucking... And then I went, no, 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 no. That has nothing to do with it. That fucker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. fucking fuck. The breadth and depth of profanity is at your disposal. There are some that might be worth retiring. Absolutely. All right. I think that's a fantastic way to end that one. Email in the third. I shall read this one. Hi there. I was just listening to season 30, episode 16, where you discussed what constitutes a traditional, quote, game. I wanted to shout at my radio that you were all wrong. Okay, first, yes. also probably not a radio, but anyway. Well, maybe not wrong, but I felt like there was another way to approach the question that has helped my understanding of some design approaches. Enjoy my wisdom dispensed. I love, I love like the, the self-confidence just right. exuding mm-hmm. from this email. You know what I also Humility. like? Because I, I believe that I was on that episode. Yeah. And I like this asynchronous conversation that that has popped up again that we're still talking about this uh, traditional. So if people have things like that, I, me personally, love to hear them. I love to have other episodes referenced. I love for you to tell me that I'm wrong because then I can tell you you're wrong. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think you're wrong about that, Nick. Mm -hmm. Well, that's your opinion and you're entitled to be wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because I I was also, well, We'll finish this in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've just, I've been wanting to say that since I read this first, yes. <laughs> read this email. <laughs> <laughs> I love like emails from way back. It's awesome. I suggest there is a divide between games that are focused on providing task resolution systems versus those that try to create conflict resolution systems. The former gives you game mechanics for resolving tasks your character wants to achieve, while the latter focuses on how to resolve drama when there's a conflict of interests. Does the does this always line up with traditional games? Maybe not. But I find it makes some design choices understandable if you think of it that way. And many so-called traditional games are designed as task resolution systems. Note, metacurrency notwithstanding. Well, that's my two cents anyway. Now I can stop shouting at the radio. Andreas, first acting Kurt in Swedish province of the International Happy Jacks. Thank you. Actually, I want to say that is a fantastic that way. Like... <laughs> Man, I'm stupid. I was wrong. You're you're right. I'm wrong. And everyone, go ahead and sound clip that because I'm not going to say that again. <laughs> but no, seriously, I really like that resolution of the distinction between those two types of games. And I'm going to use Dungeons and Dragons here. If you look at the history of it, it's gone from a very task-focused game to much more, well, not entirely to a conflict resolution game, but there are a lot more elements of that than I think were present in like the first edition, which was very much about, yeah, yeah, character, schmerker, yeah. <laughs> here's some goblins to go kill. They're trying. <laughs> like, they realize right. there's a market for that. Yeah. So. 
But I mean, obviously, there's a spate of other games that address that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a pretty good way of thinking about traditional versus... Now, I believe it was traditional versus indie games. So I don't think it's great for that because I don't think an indie game necessarily has to be touchy-feely player conflict resolution. But I do like the idea that traditional games tend to have more task-focused resolutions. Yeah, I think they'd use the term indie for like narrative because there's so many indie games and there's so many indie games that are very crunchy and very like task resolution and like indie is more like about how it's published and brought to the world than actually the mechanics right. of it exactly. but i think that was the kind of the intent there so i've recovered you are wrong <laughs> i don't know i think this is a, a very interesting way to kind of think about it i would probably use different terms because task and conflict resolution seem slightly off for me but i, I get the the meaning like i get the impression and i think i kind of agree in a lot of ways and I, and I do. I think I find myself even in more right, tasks. Andreas, you won, but so did I. But so did you. Both of you won. <laughs> we rolled a one, but you, we both won together. So anyway, but I feel like even when I'm playing games that are more designed to be task resolution systems, I end up creating conflicts that has to be resolved anyway, because that's the fun part. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's you as a player. But the yeah. regardless of what the game said, said, go crazy and do that, or if the game said, under no circumstances should you bring any character or drama to your to this game, you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I have friends, and we play board games, and we role-play them, because <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah. It's entertaining to, to have that interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think those are all solid. I think the challenge now to Kurt and Sweden is define crunch, and is fate crunchy? And if you can do that, <laughs> Congratulations, we will crown you with the, I don't know what crown, but at that point, you kind of won arguments. Not just first Kurt in Sweden, but we'll make you the first Kurt of uh, the entire Happy Jacks community. Oh, that's a dangerous thing. There are dozens, dozens of them. Yeah. I know. I want to see them fight. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Kurt, 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 Kurt. Oh, see, that's the game we need. Like the Happy Jacks community does not need Fishblade. We need it means like, we are Kurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are Kurt. That's what we need. Oh my gosh, that's the indie game for us. All right, one page, one, one page RPG <laughs> challenge. We are Kurt. Go. Oh my gosh, amazing. <sighs> so good. All right, that was good. That was a very great discussion on all that stuff. How are we feeling? That was really good. Yeah, yeah it's acceptable. Acceptable. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. All right, then let us end the episode. Then. Let me find the notes. I'm doing great tonight. Doing great tonight, everybody. Okay. Thank you for joining us for Season 31, Episode 14 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Nick. And I'm Rose. Please find The Price of Coal, which is our Indie Designer of the Month, Jen Adcock's big game that's out right now. You can find the physical copies on itch.io, or sorry, no, on Indie Press Revolution, indie game that's actually in another place. And you can get the digital copy on Roll20. It's a fantastic game. Go check it out. And thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. We love you all. And you can join their amazing ranks at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. And this week, we're going to leave you with a song called... It's a great song, and it's by Stu Venable and his... The I thought you said it was a great song. You know, it's a great song. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, It's called John Barleycorn, She'll Die Right Here, 
for those of you who don't know John Barleycorn, it's a symbol in English in that region of the sowing the of planting the wheat, sowing uh, and harvesting the wheat at the end to make into drinks. So John Barleycorn is the symbolic wheat that came from pagan tradition that it's turned into beer. So it's not really about actual murder. It's about making beer, which is fun. And that is That's what we tell the cops anyway. Yeah. That's what we tell the cops. John Barleycorn's a beer. Yeah. And that's from the Folk Shop podcast, which may still exist. I I don't know if Sue got bored and stopped, but I'm still playing his music. So cool. He's totally... He lives on in hearts and minds, even if the... He's alive. He's totally alive. (laughs) Yes. Stu is totally alive. Very alive man, Stu Venable. All right. We're leaving. Goodbye. See you all next week. T'was not a woman's wiles that led him to crime. Nor avarice, nor greed, nor his covetous ways. For no one can say with reason nor rhyme why now was the time to end his days. But the elders said, this was our way from the time of our ancestors. We'd heed the call, for death's very shadow fell on him this day. For now was the time for John Barleycorn to fall. Can you hear his death knell ringing? Can you taste the bounty he brings? His blood shall run and bring us good cheer. John Barleycorn shall die right here. First came the scythers who cut him at knee, then left him for dead, his beard on the ground. In water they drowned him and shouted with glee, for justice now this rogue had found. Can you hear his death knell ringing? Can you taste the bounty he brings? His blood shall run and bring us good cheer. John Barleycorn shall die right here. For a fortnight they watched his festering bones as it swelled and it bloomed and ripe came to be. They ground him to dust between two stones and boiled his remains till his blood ran free. His death knell ringing Can you taste the bounty he brings His blood shall run and bring us good cheer Drawn barley corn shall die right here We now raise a toast to the one that was slain We'll fill it with glee, his sacrifice and pain Now filleth our cup till none shall remain And come next spring we shall do it again His death knell ringing Can you taste the bounty he brings His blood shall run and bring us good cheer John Barleycorn shall die right here Can you hear his death knell ringing Can you taste the bounty he brings His blood shall run and bring us good cheer John Barleycorn shall die right here This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. 